Hello, everyone. Welcome to the InterNACHI webinar. I'm Ben Gromico from InterNACHI. We're going to get started in about a minute or so. So officially, the webinar, this Zoom webinar, uh, starts in about 45 seconds, 30 seconds. So let's get everybody attending. We had a few hundred people register for the webinar. And in this webinar, it's a bit informal. We're going to go through the 2018 flashcards which is a resource, a great resource, in which to help you prepare to take an ICC certification exam, one of the exams called B1, uh, Residential Building Inspector. So InterNACHI has a ton of resources uh, that we provide to our members and non-members, contractors, building inspectors, commercial building inspectors, real estate agents, um, to help them in individual ways, to help them become better at what they do. Um, let's see. Just making sure that um, some logistics here. I can't see you, I can't hear you. Um, your microphones are off. Hopefully you can hear me. It'd be great to know that you could hear me. Um, and also there's a chat uh, feature where you can chat um, questions, answers, or things like that. So just taking a look around on my side, making sure Everything is working. All right. Thank you, everybody. So welcome to the InterNACHI webinar. We're going to go over some materials that International Code Council provides, ICC provides, and they provide flashcards. And these are resources that um, can be used to help prepare to take an ICC contractor exam, certification exam. One of them is the um, B1 uh, exam through um, ICC. And uh, also, um, they have other resources for the residential building inspector uh, certified through uh, ICC. Um, and these are code books. So if you're a code inspector or a building inspector uh, or even a contractor, um, these are your friends. And um, InterNACHI is a home inspector college, has a home inspector college. Um, it's the InterNACHI school. Um, the InterNACHI school at internachi.edu is the only home inspector college free and online to our members. So what you do is you join InterNACHI, the trade organization, as a member, and you get access, free tuition, free access to the home inspector college. And we train home inspectors, building inspectors, commercial property inspectors, contractors, real estate agents, a whole ton of different types of um, professionals. And the URL is internachi.edu. So if you're looking to get accredited training, go to a college. And InterNACHI is a home inspector college, but we train other professionals as well. If you want to become a home inspector, it's the certified professional inspector designation. So through InterNACHI, the InterNACHI school, the home inspector college, you take our accredited, nationally accredited home inspector certificate program become a graduate, you get the certificate and CEUs and also the certification. And that's the main certification there. InterNACHI is the world, world's largest trade organization of home inspectors and residential commercial property inspectors um, and contractors and real estate agents. And um, if you wanted more resources for contractors, just go to natchiorg slash contractor. And uh, we're gonna get to the flashcards soon, but let me take you there while I have you natchiorg slash contractor. And if, um, you're in, if you are interested in getting a, an ICC certification, right, 
Um, I'll show you how to do that on their website. Um, InterNACHI is an ICC approved preferred education provider and all of our education is online. So if you already have a certification from ICC, you can take our courses, our free online courses, and there's our, there's our certification from ICC. And you can take all of these courses in order to renew your certification because once you attain an ICC certification, you have to renew it. Um, we also have a home inspection uh, practice test. If you wanted to practice, there's a few thousand questions there. We also have flashcards. So this is the InterNACHI Commercial Code Inspection Exam Prep flashcards sold through our e-commerce partner, Inspector Outlet. We have a residential code inspection exam flashcard set sold through Inspector Outlet as well. We have commercial property inspection resources. So if you're inspecting um, a small pizza shop, a dentist office, or a really big commercial building, we have resources for you as well on how to inspect a commercial building according to uh, standards of practice. I recommend joining CCPIA. Um, that's a big organization, nonprofit organization of certified commercial property inspectors. And here's how you get that ICC exam. You go to their website, ICC exam website. And ICC is a, a really great partner with InterNACHI. They allow us to use their um, copyrighted materials and training materials, and we're an education provider. And so to take an exam, uh, you scroll down their exam page and you uh, can type in, let's say national certification exam, and let's do a building trade, and you do a search. <clears throat> you scroll down again, and the residential building inspector exam, B1, pops up. It gives you the information about the scope. Um, you have to take uh, a two-hour exam. It's an open book. Uh, those books behind me right there is a good resource. But also, again, InterNACHI provides uh, online resources for you. Um, and you can buy the code um, book. And there's an outline for what's on the exam. Um, some of it is about code administration. And then there's uh, some building planning. And scrolls down to footing and foundations. So we're gonna go over the flashcards, which help you prepare for the first two sections. And uh, we'll go over about 100 and so flashcards. In this uh, ICC flashcard deck, uh, I don't know how many flashcards there are, but we're gonna go over this portion today. Should be kind of fun. Oh, and then, um, so that's the exam um, materials, resources like the code books and the, what we're doing here today. And then you can take the exam um, online. So the ICC examination system is proctored and online, and uh, you can just uh, prepare to take the exam uh, using resources. And InterNACHI is a great resource to help you take that ICC exam if that's your goal. Again, that's at natchiorg slash contractor. All right, let's go through some flashcards. Everyone can see me and hear me, that's great. Thanks Ron from Georgia. Awesome, Todd, Scott, Tony, John, Carl, okay. So um, these flashcards were developed um, in relationship to the IRC codebook. And actually all of InterNACHI's courses, online courses of our Home Inspector College, InterNACHI School, InterNACHI.edu, they're also based upon code and standard. And ICC, International Code Council, is a fantastic corporation that publishes the standards by which we use um, and develop 
and refer to uh, our curriculum is based upon that. And every time there's an iteration, a new update to the IRC codes or ICC code books, we uh, review and revise our entire curriculum. So the flashcards is one of those, mm, I would say informal ways of um, assessing and quickly assessing in kind of a fun way, your knowledge about the code. So let's get right into it, right? So the flashcards, there's a question on the front side and the answer on the back side. So the purpose of this code, the IRC 2018 IRC code, is to establish what kind of requirements to safeguard the public safety, health, and general welfare. So if you'd like to type in uh, an answer, we'll see who answers first, or um, I'm just gonna go through it and give you the answers, and then we can talk about it if you wanted to. You can also, uh, Ron, no, uh, Greg, Greg is correct. It's the minimum. So whenever you talk about a standard in which you uh, practice your profession, right? There's usually a standard of practice. So in commercial, there's an internet commercial standards of practice for performing an inspection on a commercial building of all sizes and types. There's also a home inspection standards of practice. There's um, a radon mitigation standards of practice, radon mitigation system standards of practice. There's a, a radon uh, testing standards of practice. There's a mold, you get it? So, and there are all those standards are the absolute minimum, the basic minimum. Um, when I perform a home inspection according to the home inspection standards of practice, I exceed the standards often for every client because the standards of practice are the minimum. These are the absolute minimum standards by which you should uh, build a building that's safe and healthy. Where, in any specific case, different sections of the code specify different materials, when there's a, a different difference in the code, methods of construction or other requirements, the most blank shall govern. What shall govern if there's a difference in the code? Like, oh, this, um, this height requirement is 44 inches and this height requirement is um, more uh, difficult. It's 33 inches, it's gotta be tighter. It's restrictive, it's the more restrictive. Yeah, stringent, yep, or restrictive. So wherever there's a, a code that says, um, oh, it can be this big if you want to, I don't know, you know, in general terms. Um, and, the, and another code refers to the same situation, same condition, building system or component, and it's more restrictive, that one overrules. A permit is not required for one-story detached accessory structures provided that the floor area does not exceed how many square feet? I thought actually, uh, I, I was, you know, for, uh, for a while there, I thought everything you build on a piece of property has to have a permit, right? But it says a permit is not required for one-story detached accessory structures, like a little shed or a barn, right? Provided that the floor area doesn't exceed, yeah, you're right, Todd and Robert. It's 200, 200 square feet. So 200 square feet is, is what? Like in my head, it's, it's 10 by 20 feet. Oh, by the way, this is um, IRC residential. Uh, they're international residential codes, right? Um, but these flashcards, they don't have any metrics in them. So sorry, Canada. Um, it's all inches and feet and things like that. So for every answer, there's sometimes uh, an exemption. And so um, in code, they'll give you that uh, 
uh, reference. Fences, that's around the house, let's say. Fences that are how many feet or less in height do not require permits. And I was kind of surprised by this too, so, because the, the height is, is fairly large. No, six, seven, it's seven feet. So when a fence is seven feet or less, it doesn't require a permit. That's a pretty tall fence. That's kind of blocking out a lot of vision. I guess if it's bigger than seven feet, which I'm six feet, like if it's taller than this, then you need a permit. That makes sense. But I thought it would actually be like anything. Around, nope, seven feet. A permit's not required for the replacement of a branch circuit over current device as a breaker of the required capacity in the same location within the panel. So if you uh, swap out a breaker, maybe it's humming or something or hot or I don't know, and you pull it out and put a new one in, do you require a permit? You don't. So it says a permit is not required. Um, I try not to ask, we try not to ask questions with a negative in there. So a permit is not required. Is that true or false? It's true. It's not required. You can swap out a breaker and not get a permit. Um, most homeowners aren't uh, skilled enough to do that. Um, unattached decks, not exceeding, here's a not again. Unattached decks, not exceeding, has the uh, greatest square feet in area, not exceeding a certain area that are not more than how many inches above grade, don't require a permit. So you can, uh, you can have an unattached deck, right? Of a certain size and not require a permit. So it can't be bigger than how many feet and not taller than how many inches. Matt, you're on it. Oh, no, Matt, you missed it. It's 200. So a 10 by 10 is 100. This is 200. That's a pretty big, it's a pretty big square footage deck. So unattached, unattached decks not exceeding 200 square feet in area that are not more than 30 inches above don't require a permit. That is a lot that you could do there with that. You can build a, a fairly big unattached deck. It's not too high though. There's that 30 inches, 30 inches and in, in guardrails. There's a thing about, you know, code. If it's, if, if a platform or a level uh, in front of the patio area there, if it's, if it's more than 30 inches, you're going to need a rail, right? So it's referring to that again. I like that consistency. This term, signifies access that requires the removal of an access panel or similar removable obstruction. So if, it, if, if you need to remove something, what is this term called? Confined space. This is a difficult, so let me just, it, it's access. So if you say, um, I have access to um, the, uh, let's say the, the blower fan of the heating system, you know, the, a gas furnace, there's the burner, if it's a flow, and there's the blower fan below, and you pull off the access panel, that's access. I have access to that air filter, let's say. Even though I have to remove a panel, that means access to. So access or access to this area, um, attic space in the ceiling, right? It's a panel in the ceiling, or maybe there's some, uh, screws or something, I have to remove this panel or just pull it off. If I have to, if, there, if accessing this area, this uninhabitable space, right? If I have to access it and I have to remove it, it requires removing a panel or similar 
removable obstruction, right? A panel, a door, uh, something. Um, that means access to. But we, we talk about access and readily accessible access, but it just means access to. Ready access, ready access to something signifies access without the necessity for removing a panel or similar obstruction. So that's ready access. In the home inspector uh, world, we call it readily accessible. This was readily accessible. You didn't have to remove anything to get to it. Readily accessible is like a doorway that's open without a door. It's just a pathway to get in. It was readily accessible. I didn't have to remove anything to get to it, right? So there's um, access and ready access. It's kind of interesting. A finished or unfinished habitable space within an attic. What's that called? It could be, it's a habitable space according to um, what, what is defined as habitable within an attic and it's finished or unfinished, what's it called? Well, it's a attic and it's habitable. <laughs> so a habitable attic is a finished or unfinished habitable space within an attic. That's what you refer to. So if it's a habitable space defined by the terms of what is habitable, um, certain height requirement floor and all that stuff. Um, and if it's finished or unfinished, it's called a habitable space, um, habitable attic. In home inspection terms, home inspection terminology, we, the colloquialism, colloquialism is called um, unfinished attic space. So if it's an unfinished attic space, it's, that's what we usually refer to it. Uh, hot water temperature. This always threw me for a loop for some reason. What's the definition of hot water? Hot water is water at a temperature greater than or equal to, Robert, you're on it. I always thought it was 120. It's 110. So that's hot water. You know, boiling is 212, right? We never want to get there. So if I'm inspecting a, um, a heating system, uh, a faucet, maybe I'll, I'll laser it. Um, I'll put a probe in it and inspect the tub faucet or something like that at the point of use, or maybe at the point of source, um, the water source itself. Maybe there's um, a boiler for a, um, a heating system that moves hot water around like in baseboards or radiators. And um, it has a domestic coil inside it. That water is going to be really hot coming out by 180 degrees, 190 degrees or something. And it needs to temper that water. So always at a boiler with a domestic coil, um, that water coming out of there is really hot. It's a great way to get um, almost unlimited amount of hot water through a boiler, but it's coming out hot. So we need to temper that and it's down to 110. That's the definition of hot water, according to code. A wall supporting any vertical load in addition to its own weight. A wall supporting, its, supporting a load, a vertical load, in addition to its own weight is called a, yep, load-bearing, load-bearing, load-bearing. That's everyone's answer in that one. That was good. Load-bearing. And that's in section R202 going through the definitions. That section of the code book um, right here. Oh, this is, um, I like this kind of code book where it's, it's actually code and commentary. Um, we're in section two now. In section two, there's definitions. What is the minimum uniformity distributed live load for habitable attics 
and attics served with fixed stairs. So, you know, when someone's up, when someone can enter the attic space, it's habitable. It has stairs going up. It's not a pull down kind of thing and something in the ceiling with a hatch or something like that. What's the minimum uniformly distributed live load? Oh, we got different answers. It's actually 30 pounds per square foot. And a review of the tables will be useful as knowledge of many tables is necessary for the exam. And that table is in section R301. For dwellings with fire sprinkler systems, okay, exterior walls with a fire separation distance less than what feet, how many feet shall have not less than a one hour fire resistance rating with exposure from the outside. So for dwellings with fire sprinkler systems, so these houses have sprinkler systems in it and the exterior walls where the fire separation distance less than how many feet shall not, so it's like if it's tight, shall not have not less than one hour fire resistance rating with the exposure on the outside. Oh, no, 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 it's not that many feet. So, you know, we're, lo we're looking at like houses that are built close to each other. And see note for a subdivision where all dwellings are sprinklered. So this is a difficult thing. Is the, what do you do on the outside of the house? Is it too close, even though that there are fire sprinklers? If they're not fire sprinklers, that's a different kind of thing. In a non-sprinklered townhouse building, the common wall between the units, that's the shared wall between the townhouses, and they don't have sprinklers, shall be a minimum blank hour fire resistance rating wall assembly. So how many hours? I know the, it's a fire resistance rated wall assembly. So a non-sprinkler townhouse building where you're looking at the common wall, maybe from the unfinished attic space, you're taking a look at the insulation and the structure of trusses and stuff and you see, oh, these are non-sprinkler townhouses. You can assume that the neighbor doesn't have any sprinklers if you don't. And they may have a sprinkler, but you could assume that the worst case scenario, non-sprinkler townhouse building, the shared wall between the units shall be a minimum blank hour rating. Two, that's awesome, Robert. Two hour fire resistance rated. A minimum one hour fire resistance rated wall is required where the building is sprinklered. So if you have sprinklers, it only helps one hour, right? <laughs> that sprinkler system, obviously the fire uh, department is giving it one hour more. They have an, an entire extra hour if it's sprinklered to get to that one townhouse before that fire passes through the shared wall. I think that's what they're saying. Hmm. Openings from a private garage directly into a room. Oh, I'm really, I'm a stickler for these things. I just don't like anything, but there are always exceptions, but opening from a private garage, okay, directly into a room used for what shall not be permitted. So you can't have an opening if the next room in where there's an opening there, um, what, what activity is taking place? Yeah, sleeping purposes. I mean, you can sleep in a lot of areas. The, um, so sleeping rooms and habitable rooms, these are difficult. They're similar, but they're slightly different. 
and they're all defined in, in the code book. And that's in section, we're in section R302 now, opening protection. Everybody good? Okay, continue? Okay, we're about third of the way through. We'll stop at chapter four of the code book with our flashcards. Okay, the doors between the garage and the residence shall be equipped with a, and this, this is, I don't know if it's fairly, it's not really fairly new, but it, you know, it was difficult for us to, as home inspectors to like start changing our minds about these doors, you know, between the, the house and the garage. So we would check the garage door and make sure it's fire rated and all that good stuff. But there was one thing that we needed to remember, right? And that's why we kept the checklist based upon code requirements. It was a home inspection. We're not, we're not code inspectors, we're home inspectors, but we wanna look for these things, these what uh, devices. Yeah, you guys have it. Self-closing or automatic closing. I don't use the word automatic closing. Self-closing or automatic closing device. You guys are good. You all nailed that one. Uh, Todd added both, automatic self-closer. <laughs> Garages shall be separated from residences and attics by not less than what inch, sorry Canada, it's inches, gypsum board or equivalent applied to the garage side. So garages shall be separated from residences and attics and attics by not less than, it could be greater, but not less than, now we got different answers. We have five eighths, one half inch, five eighths. It's a half inch, it's, that's the minimum, right? Five eighths is greater than half. So there's a table, R, 302.6 about the garage and the house separation. It's fantastic. Once you get that down, you've got it down. So garages, again, shall be separated from the residences and attics by not less than one half inch gypsum board or equivalent applied to the garage side. Enclosed space. I've got this in my house. When I go down to the, I have a basement. I'm in Colorado. I got a basement. When I go down to the basement, enclosed space under stairs that is accessed by a door or an access panel shall have its walls, understair surfaces, and any soffits protected on the enclosed side with what? Well, it's drywall, but is there some kind of special thing? Yeah, it's just half inch drywall. Again, that's the minimum, right? The minimum is half inch. There's no, there's no defect if it's only half inch, unless there's an exception, especially with fire. So that's under stair protection. That's an interesting thing. You know, when you're, when you're inspecting a home and it's finished down there and there's an underfloor space, it's gotta be drywalled up. Why is that though? See, this is the uh, interesting and, and kind of unfortunate uh, reason why code is updated. This wasn't always the code, having that enclosed floor space understood. It's because when there's a fire in the basement and that fire is eaten away at the stairs, you wanna be able to escape or rescue. Sometimes you're rescuing down the stairs. We wanna protect those, those rescuers, those firefighters who are trying to help somebody in the basement. We wanna also help people get out. And we don't want those stairs to be the first thing that, you know, a lot of people get hurt. So when code I respect code so much, especially the fire code, because usually when code improves, it's because somebody unfortunately got hurt and we improve the code every year. That's why it's important 
to inspect, if you're just a home inspector, think about code and improvements and why that code has changed. It's really important. If you're a code inspector, you gotta inspect the code. In combustible construction, fire blocking, another fire thing, it's all about safety and health, right? And performance and functionality. In combustible, in combustible construction, fire blocking shall be provided to cut off all concealed draft openings and to form an effective fire barrier between what? What is the one th thing that floors, floors, yep, it's stories. Yeah, floors, kind of be careful, right? Oh, fire, to protect between floors, like living room floor and dining room floor? No, it's like the stories, right? So the stories and fire goes where? Up. So we want to block that uh, draft areas. How all habitable rooms shall be provided with an aggregate glazing area of not less than blank percent of the floor area of such room. So I'm in a habitable room, right? I need a, I need a window of not let a window area of not less than what percent of the floor area. It's kind of hard to quickly calculate it, um, but it's eight, 8%. Eight so there are exceptions to the 8% requirement um, in relation to what is habitable, a habitable room. But it looks like, yeah, a couple of you got it. Carlo, Carlo Salvador. Um, bathrooms shall be provided with aggregate glazing area. Bathroom, I'm in a bathroom now. Bathrooms shall, and when it says shall, that means it is absolutely required. It must be there. So bathroom, it's a legal term when it says shall. Bathrooms, it's not optional, right? So if you're gonna to refer to code and someone's kind of arguing with you and you see the word shall, that there's no like, uh, unless in the code there's an exception. Bathrooms shall be provided with aggregate glazing area and windows of not less than what square feet? And half of that has to be openable. <laughs> it's three, it's pretty neat. Three, not less than three square feet. And Three square feet is difficult for me to imagine. Four square feet's easy, right? Two feet by two feet. But three square feet, so it's kind of like really kind of small. And half of that has to be openable. Hmm. So see the exception. There's always an exception um, where local exhaust system is provided. So if you have an exhaust fan, there's an exception to that. Where the air infiltration rate, and I think of a blower door test, where they put that big red thing in the fan and they turn it on and close the doors. Okay. Where the air infiltration rate of a dwelling unit is not more than what air changes per hour where tested, the dwelling unit shall be provided with what kind of mechanical ventilation. So where the air infiltration rate of a dwelling unit is not more than, so it's when it's not more than a certain amount and that's tight. They're talking about tight. If a house is new and it's, it's been air sealed and it's kind of tight, right? The dwelling unit shall be provided with what kind of mechanical ventilation? We got five, yeah, Robert, five air changes, right? Of not more than five air changes per hour. That's kind of tight, five air changes per hour. The dwelling unit shall be provided with what kind of mechanical ventilation? Whole house, whole house. So that's in the mechanical section 15, chapter 15, 1505. 
and it's also in um, R303. So we're in the third chapter of the International Residential Code 2018. Dwelling units shall be provided with heating facilities. <laughs> I don't know why they call it facilities. Capable of maintaining, you know, it's an appliance. It's um, systems, but we don't say, in the home inspection industry, we don't say facilities. We say heating systems or heating appliances. Capable or, or source, capable of maintaining a minimum room temperature of what degrees? And don't ask me what the Celsius is. Required where it's cold, where the winter design temperature is below 60 degrees. So where it's cold in cold climates, right? Um, dwelling units shall be provided, shall be provided with a heating system. So you gotta have a heating system in the cold. And you can't have any kind of mobile thing, right? Oh, it's 68 degrees. 65, 72, nope, none of you got it. So it's 68, 68 degrees. And that's measured at a point three feet above the floor and two feet above from exterior walls in all habitable rooms. I don't know why it's so slow here, but like, you know, because my, my face is here. Maybe it's because I'm sitting. It has to be comfortable where I'm sitting. I don't know. Or maybe it's in the, right in my waist. Portable space heaters should not be used to achieve this compliance to that section. Habitable rooms, there we are again. Habitable rooms, what is a habitable room? Habitable rooms shall have a floor area of at least how many square feet? Hmm, if you just imagine it, like you gotta have at least to be habitable. I don't know, what is it? 65, oh, those are temperatures. 110 square feet, 64 square feet. It's 70 square feet. Kitchens have no minimum area requirements. Kitchens can be really small, tight. Some, some kitchens are not even very wide, right? Kitchens are kind of strange. But 70 square feet, so real quick, I think of seven by 10. Seven is a, a minimum, I think, in 10. 70 square feet, so let's go back again. Habitable rooms shall have a floor area of not less than, so it can't be a closet. If someone, oh, look at it, the, and they put a door in a hallway or something, in a coat closet or something, um, and it's not 70 square feet, it ain't a habitable room. I've had that before. Like how many homes do you go up in and there's an attic space, it's kind of a slope ceiling, it's low. You open up a door and it's like, the floor space is real small. Um, so it's at least in relation just to the floor space, 70 square feet. Habitable rooms, um, oh, there we are. Habitable rooms shall not be less than blank feet in any horizontal dimension. So this way, horizontal, <laughs> vertical. So in this way, um, how, how, if I can stretch, I'm, I'm like six something. Maybe it's that, maybe it's six feet. Yeah, you guys have it, guys and gals. Except kitchens. So it, uh, habitable rooms shall not be less than, it has to be at least seven feet in any horizontal dimension. And kitchens, again, is that small thing. Habitable space, hallways and portions of basements containing these spaces shall have a ceiling height of at least what? Seven, 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 seven. You guys are good. Bathrooms, toilet rooms, and laundry rooms shall have a minimum ceiling height of what feet, what inches? It's kind of, they kind of give it to you. Yeah, Robert, Robert's the first. Six feet, eight inches. Every dwelling unit 
shall be provided with a water closet, so funny, water closets, lavatory, and a blank or a blank. Who's the first one? So every dwelling unit, you gotta have a, a water closet, a lavatory, a blank and a blank. What's a water closet? Toilet, lavatory, sink, and a blank or a blank. Right, Tim's got it first. A tub, a bathtub, or shower. You can have one of those. It's okay to have a bathtub, right? It's or, bathtub only, or shower. So modern homes, you know, we, we combine them now. Each dwelling unit shall be provided with a kitchen area. Yep. And every kitchen area shall be, and these are shelves. So every house has to have a kitchen, and every kitchen has to have a what? Dishwasher. Sink. Yep, stove. Is it a stove or sink? Evan says stove. It's sink. I'm, I'm with Evan. I mean, I think he needs both. I mean, what, what kind of kitchen is that? It doesn't have a stove. Okay, a clearance of at least how many inches shall be provided at the front of a shower opening? So you get out of the shower, and how many inches do I get? How many feet? Oops, how many feet? Inches do I get? 21, mm, 24. You got need two feet in front of a shower. Showers, bathtubs with installed shower heads shall be finished with a non-absorbent surface extending to a height of not less than what above the floor. It has to come up like it's a wipe of, I think of a, you know, cleaning the tiles. How, how high up does that tile or fiberglass shower wall surround non-absorbent material come up. Is it four feet or five feet or six? Has to go all the way up to the ceiling? Not less than what? A lot of guesses. It's six feet. Yeah, four feet is not enough, Greg, I think. You know, because four feet is what, here? And you're, the shower hits your face. And so, you know, if you're about this tall, you know, the, the idea is for splash. And if there's a lot of water in a shower, so you don't want that splash hit something that absorbs a material that absorbs water. Who's just have water problems? I think it may be a little, I think, you know, we're growing taller and taller every day. So it may have to go up. Glazing and all fixed and operable panels of swinging, sliding and bifold doors shall be considered a glazing, the glass. And all fixed and operable panels of swinging Sliding and bifold doors shall be considered a, yeah, you got it, Robert. Hazardous location. There are exceptions for decorative glazing and glazed openings through which a three inch diameter sphere cannot pass, but they're all hazardous. The glass is just considered hazardous. Glazing at the side of a stairway, where? the bottom exposed edge of the glazing is less than certain number of inches. It's real tight above the plane of the adjacent walking surface must be safety glazing. What is that? It's 36 inches. Okay. So glazing at the side of a stairway where the bottom exposed edge of the glazing is less than 36 inches uh, above the plane of the adjacent walkway surface. It must be safety glazing. They don't want this, to be all hazardous materials here in a hazardous situation right next to the, the stairway, right? So 36 inches, awesome.
and that's at section R308.4.6, where you have window, glass, glass, glazing, adjacent to the stairs and ramps. Okay, glazing less than what inches above the landing. So you have a landing at the bottom of a stairway. So stairways, landing, glazing less than how many inches above the landing at the bottom of a stairway and within blank inches of the bottom, tread nosing must be safety glazing. This is difficult, 36 and 60, 60 inches within 60 inches of the bottom tread nosing must be safety glazing. So they really are looking for things coming down and hitting something at the bottom of the landing, right? And it all has to be, boy, if you, I'm very particular when uh, I'm looking for that etching. When I come down in modern homes where they have a lot of glass all over the place and at that big grand stairway on the side of the home, they're going up to the second floor and there's glass at your feet, right? You need that glazing safety and there are exceptions. So that's glazing adjacent to the bottom of the stair landing. The garage floor shall be of what kind of material? Concrete, asphalt. Yeah, it's non-combustible. That's right. You can't have carpet in there. <laughs> I've seen carpet in a garage. Obviously they, didn't park the car in there and they used it for other purposes. Maybe during the summertime, you open up the garage door, but you know, I had to call it out. You got to get the carpeting out of there if you're going to use it as a garage and it is intended to be a garage unless they really just finish it, you know, finish it up. Carports shall be open on at least how many sides? Robert says three. Everyone says three. Uh, I thought four sides. No, at least two sides. So carports must be open on at least, that's a minimum, a carport has to have at least two sides open. Three sides is, you know, think about it, it's like a lean-to then with a shed roof and lean-to and like three sides are open. That's not the minimum, the minimum is two. So one side can be attached to the house, maybe it's detached, but, um, you know, you have to have at least two sides open, okay? Basements, habitable attics, and every sleeping room shall have at least one operable something-something and something-something. <laughs> it's difficult. So emergency escape and rescue opening. So let's go back. Basements, habitable attics, and every sleeping room shall have at least one operable emergency escape, one operable emergency escape, and rescue opening. Uh, that's really good. There are exceptions. Where emergency escape and rescue openings are provided, okay, they shall have a seal height of not more than blank inches above the floor. So in my area, again, we're down in the basement. I talked about basements before going down into the basement. Remember the, un, un, uh, the enclosed space under the stairs have to, has to be wrapped in half-inch drywall. Where the emergency escape and rescue openings are provided, okay, let's, I'm assuming down in the basement, they shall have a seal height of not more than how many inches above the floor? Well, if it's way above the floor, uh, how's a, somebody supposed to escape? And how's somebody supposed to come in and rescue? 
right? So it's gotta be down here and it can't be more than what? Yeah, you all have it. That's really good. 44 inches. Yep. So if it's higher than 44 inches, that's difficult to jump up in there. And that's hazardous to come in and rescue somebody and reach down and, and then push them up up, right? All emergency escape and rescue openings shall have a minimum net clear opening of how many square feet? And a minimum net clear opening height shall be how tall can it be like 10, you can't squeeze in. So it has to be at least this tall and a minimum clear opening width. So minimum clear opening every, let's go back. All emergency escape and rescue openings shall have a minimum net clear opening of how many square feet. Remember the bathroom, three square feet. It's hard to imagine. This is a heck of a lot bigger. Minimum net clear opening height and minimum net clear opening width. Okay, I see some answers. Yeah, you guys are on it, but a little, uh, let's see, Robert got it. Looks like Robert. Partially everybody got some answer. So it's 5.7 square feet. Uh, that's difficult, again, 5.7. I should have just rounded it off or something. Make it easy. Uh, I don't know, what, six, you know, two by three? Because I can imagine as an inspector, two feet by three feet, minimum net clear opening, right? And then there's 24 height and 20, 20. Oh, width. Look at me. I'm six, three, you know, 250 pounds, and you're only giving me 20 inches. Okay. Uh, the horizontal area of a window well serving an emergency escape and rescue opening. Okay. The horizontal area of a window well. So, again, uh, maybe some of you are not in areas where there are basements. But in for my head, this is a clear thing about, you know, having a basement. We always had basements in our homes. And the windows would have window wells, which is a space, a clear area space um, outside of the foundation, right at that window. So light could come in, you know, from outside through that window well and reflect into the basement window. The horizontal area of a window well serving an emergency escape and rescue opening window down in the basement shall be not less than how many square feet? Yeah, nine. A ladder or steps are required where the vertical depth of the window exceeds four, uh, 44 inches. I almost said four feet, 44, they just make it 44 inches. Where it exceeds 44 inches, I guess 44 inches again is that, remember that minimum, a maximum height from uh, the window sill to the floor, can't be more than 44 inches to be uh, an escape. Well, a ladder or steps are required where the vertical depth of the window well exceeds 44 inches. So if it's bigger than that, you need a ladder or steps. Oh, and nine square feet. That's pretty easy. Three by three. Nice square, clear area. Window well serving emergency escape and rescue openings, again, shall be designed for proper. This is always a problem when it's not like, when there's a lot of um, deciduous trees and there's leaves and and branches and things falling into a window well and it starts to clog up, it needs a drain, right? So it's, it needs, yeah, you're right. Tim got it, it needs drainage. The required egress door for each dwelling unit, so we'd, so, <laughs> sorry, shall be side hinged, obviously, you know, your front door, I mean, I can't remember anything other than a front door uh, being side hinged, um, shall provide a minimum clear width of 
it's a, kind of like a trick question because the door itself is a certain width. It doors up, but what is the minimum? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're all wrong, right? Remember, the the door itself is 36, but the the minimum clear width is 32. Go measure your front door right now, and measure from the uh, striker plate, the plate, to the inside interior trim. That's what they're measuring. So. The door itself is 36. You order it as a 36 inch door, but the actual, uh, what do they call it? Minimum clear width of the required egress door. That's the, usually the front door. A landing at the exterior door. This is great stuff. A landing and an exterior door shall have a minimum dimension of blank inches measured in the direction of travel. So if you're running out of the house, right? It's always about safety. If you're moving quickly out of the egress door, minimum 32 inches clear width out of a 36 inch door, um, a landing at the exterior door must have a minimum dimension of what inches? Well, how about like 10 inches for my foot? Yeah, you guys have it, 36. The slope of an exterior landing shall not exceed, uh, exceed a 2% slope. That's hardly, that's very low, it's like a low slope roof. It's just going to drain away. So one quarter per 12, one quarter inch per foot. About three quarters of the way through the flashcards. Everybody cool? Good. The landing on the exterior side of the required egress door is permitted to be a maximum of what inches below the top of the threshold provided that the door does not swing over the landing. Well, if the front door swings over the landing, you have a problem, right? <laughs> You're supposed to, all exterior front doors, you know, the common thing, required thing, you move it in. You open up the door and you go in, right? But this is the other way, right? So your, your door exiting the house does not swing over the landing, right? So you open up your front door and you, how many inches, what's the max? down. Yeah, it's, it's a regular step, seven and three quarter. Now, storm and screen doors are permitted to swing over the exterior stairs and landing, but not the required egress door. And they don't want you to, remember, it's 36 inches in the direction of travel. It's going to be 36 inches wide too. And they don't want you to like fall down. It can't be like 10 inches down, right? Even if you get snow, even if you get two feet of snow every winter, um, the only, you don't want to you know, fall down the stairs uh, right out of your door. The width of a hallway, this is pretty easy, should not be less than what feet? Yep, Tim nailed it. Three, that's pretty easy. Uh, just, there's, that's a common thing for a lot of things. You know, Three feet doors, well, not the minimum clear width. You gotta look that up. And then, um, oh, uh, and then the hallways and stairs and a lot of things are three feet wide. Um, like uh, the area, like if you're going down a stairway, right? What is the minimum clear width area above the handrail of the stair? It's three feet, right? Same thing. So for hallways, uh, it's three feet. Okay, let's not be the dead horse. Oh, here it is. Where a handrail, almost, where a handrail is installed on one side 
the clear width of stairs at the handrail height mm, shall be a minimum of what? At the handrail height. 34, 34, 32, 31 and a half. Where do they come up with this stuff? <laughs> mm. I think it's, if you add, uh, it's 31 and a half, plus there's like a minimum, uh, is it maximum, of one and a half inches around the handrail. So that's what? 31 and a half plus one and a half is 33. And then another inch and a half, 33, 34 and a half, I don't know. Again, like I wish they would just round it off a little bit for us to visualize it. So 31 and a half where a handrail is installed on one side, the clear width of the stairway at the handrail height must be a minimum of 31 and a half inches. A flight of stairs shall not have a vertical rise larger than what? A flight of stairs shall not have a vertical rise larger than what? Inches, inches between floors, floor levels or landings. Hmm. So can I have a stairway that goes, you know, uh, 180 inches, a uh, 212 inches high? No, there's a maximum. The flight of stairs shall not have a vertical rise larger than 151 inches. 151 inches. If anybody knows why it's 151, I'd really like to know. 151 inches. Dang, Bert, you hit that. That was a good one. Bert's the only one who got that. Okay. There shall be a floor or what at the top and bottom of each stairway. We've talked about it. There's, there shall be a floor or a what at the top and bottom of each stairway. Yeah, landing. You got you to land on something, right? So uh, there is an exception at the top of an interior flight of stairs, including stairs in an enclosed at a enclosed garage. Um, you can you don't have to have a landing, provided that a door does not swing over the stairs. Okay, so if um, let me so if, if they're saying at the top of an interior flight of stairs, including stairs in an enclosed garage. So if I'm pulling in my garage, I get out of the car, hit the garage door, close it, and I'm going into the house. Um, I don't need a landing at the top of these stairs. There's sometimes one, two, three, and then I get into the garage door that has a self-closing device or automatic closing device. Um, provided it doesn't swing out, I can just go right in, right? So the garage door often um, uh, opens up to the interior of the house, doesn't pull over. If it did, that'd, that'd be very difficult to open up a garage door that, pull, that opened into the garage enclosed space and there's no landing, right? For stairs with a straight run, the landing shall have a minimum depth of what inches measured in the direction of travel. I think we've got this. Yep, Tim's way ahead. 36, ramps shall have a minimum slope of, of blank unit vertical in blank units horizontal, and that's a 8.3% slope. We're serving required egress door. So ramps, we're talking about ramps. John nails it, one, two. So um, ramps shall have a maximum slope of one inch per 12 inches. We're serving the required egress door. And there's always an exception. 
Can you have plastic composite materials for exterior stair treads? It's yes, but it has to comply with a provision in the code. So you can have plastics. I always thought like, you know, oh, they're slippery. So um, they have to comply. On stairways, the maximum riser height shall be one inches, 10, 10 12 inches. The maximum riser height. So what is the, what is a nice step up? What's the maximum? Well, we're all over the place. Mm, seven and three quarters. Yeah, it is not, it is not nine inches. That's a little, the riser height, maximum riser height. On stairways, the minimum tread depth, minimum, not maximum, could be huge. Minimum tread depth is what? 10, nine, 10, it's 10. So that's the minimum. So if it was nine, probably a lot of people would be like, you know, three quarters of the way on or something, you know, because you're not really putting your toes up against the vertical part, the riser. So you need 10 inches, that's nice. So what's the, it's like, it's almost like 7-Eleven, but it's not. Seven and three quarters, 10. Seven three quarters, 10. On stairways, the greatest riser height within any flight of stairs shall not exceed the smallest by what inches? Or what part of an inch? On stairways, the greatest riser height within any flight of stairs shall not exceed the smallest. So, you know, we're not perfect when we're building stairs unless you buy engineered ones already. Um, and they're perfect, usually. You know, you can't have this big variance between steps. You'd be going up and down the steps all messed up. Yeah, it's, that's kind of tight, you know. So three-eighths of an inch. That's from the largest, not from sequentially, right, any, any riser height in that flight. If that's the biggest one and the, you get the smallest one, it can only be a difference between three-eighths of an inch. That's good. On stairways, the greatest tread depth within a flight of stairs should not exceed the smallest by more than what? So you can't have the varying tread depths. And you find the largest, and you find the smallest, and it can't vary by more than what? Yeah, it's the same. They're saying it's no different. So you want uniformity in height and in depth, right? So you can't have uh, you know, a 10 inch tread and a nine inch tread. 10 inch and an eight inch and 10 and nine, ten, three eighths of an inch, it's, that's tight. And it's really important because a lot of people fall down the stairs. So it has to be tightly, uniformly built. The headroom in all parts of the stairway, stairway, headroom in all parts of the stairway should not be less than what feet blank inches. And when they do that, it's usually the standard, yeah, everyone's got it, six feet, eight inches. Handrail height shall be a minimum of, handrail, okay, handrail height, minimum, mm, 24 inches, no. It's gotta be up around here, and a maximum of what? Can't be way too high. You guys are off a little bit? It's 34, 38. 34, 38, 34, 38, 34, 38, 34, 38. So that's, you know, that's not too, you know, it's gotta be in there somewhere, yep. Handrails adjacent to a wall shall have a space of not less than what inches? Oh, I mentioned this before, 31 and a half inches, a handrail, and then, you know, how much space do your fingers get? 
essentially. The handrails adjacent to our wall should have a space not less than blank inches between the wall and the handrail. Yeah, one and a half inches. It's not one and a quarter. Yep, it's one and a half inches. That's enough room. One, uh, sorry, open-sided walking surfaces located more than blank inches above the floor or grade, that's usually standard, shall have guards of not less than blank inches in height. So the standard is 30. Whenever they, you see that, it's usually like 30 inches or you need a handrail. Uh, you can build a deck, but it, you know, uh, it can't be more than 30 inches above grade, unattached deck. So open-sided walking surfaces located more than what inches above the floor or grade. So that could be inside, attached, or outside, right? Like a, a poured concrete front porch. It's kind of common in my area. And sometimes the grading you know, slopes away, but the level of that front porch to the grading is a heck of a lot more than 30 inches. Well, you need a handrail. And if you've got a, a guard, what's the minimum height? So it's 36 inches. A walking surface height is measured vertically to the floor or grade below at any point within 36 inches horizontally to the edge of the open side. So a walking surface height is measured vertically to the floor or grade below at any point within 36 inches horizontally to the edge of the open side. So um, again, if I'm at the front porch and it's poor concrete and there's garden in the front there, um, where do I measure? Is it directly below or maybe, maybe it's four feet away or six feet away? If it drops away, it's within the first 36 inches. So anywhere in that, if it's, it's, if it's greater than 30 inches, you need a guard. Required guards shall not have openings. Required guards shall not have openings from the walking surface to the required guard height that allow the passage of a sphere, blank kitchens in diameter. Home inspectors love this one. I, I love this one because it's always, uh, there's an argument about, oh, the house was built to code back then. I really don't care. Because right now, the safe standard is, right, I, don't, I don't care when the house was built. House was built today, house was built 50 years ago, right? Historic buildings can be, there's an exception but if it was built in 1970, right? Well, it, the, the idea is to not have a four inch sphere pass through the guard. If it's bigger than four inches, then uh, the idea is a child's head can get caught in there. And there are exceptions, but I usually call it out. Smoke alarms shall be installed in the following locations. Three locations, right outside the and then in the right? And on every bedrooms, hallways, basement. Mm, that's close. Nick, smoke alarms shall be installed in the following locations. Each story, hallway sleeping. Mm. Evan, bedroom, hallways and kitchen. Yeah, sleeping room, outside sleeping rooms and on each level. So Robert, who said that? Who's the first one? Was that Robert? In each sleeping room, outside each uh, separate sleeping area and on each additional story of the dwelling. Basements and habitable attics 
require smoke detectors, but crawl spaces and uninhabitable attics do not. That's really cool. In each sleeping room, yep. Outside each separate sleeping area, yeah, that's like the hallway. On each additional story of the on each story of the dwelling. I don't know why they say additional. Each story. Photoelectric smoke alarms shall not be installed less than what feet horizontally from a permanently installed cooking appliance, uh, six feet. Uh, it should be like 20, really. That thing goes off all the time in my house uh, because of me. I'm usually burning the steak. Required smoke alarms shall receive their primary power from the building wiring, and when primary power is interrupted, shall receive power from a battery. Yeah, from a battery. you got to have backup. Physical interconnection of smoke alarms is not required where this type of smoke alarms are installed. I have to keep this in mind, it's kind of new. Anybody? Hardware? The physical, inter the, when they're not connected, what are they sometimes? Yeah, listed wireless, that's perfect. Robert, nailed it. All alarms must sound upon activation of one alarm. So one, when one alarm goes off, they all go off. They have to be connected in some way. For new construction, an approved carbon monoxide alarm shall be installed in what locations? For new construction, and that's every home that I inspect as a home inspector, an approved carbon monoxide alarm shall be installed in what locations? This is difficult. So outside each separate sleeping area in the immediate vicinity of the bedrooms. Hallways, right? CO alarms, carbon monoxide alarms are not required. If there are no fuel-fired appliances, that's heating systems, that's stoves, right? And no fireplaces, and no attached garage. So if there's an attached garage, CO. If there's um, not an attached garage, but um, a gas stove, CO. It, there's the word and in there. So you're not required to have CO alarms according to code if there are no fire, fuel fired appliances and no attached garage. Okay. In areas where the probability of termite infestation is very heavy, and that's changing, there's termites in Alaska now, the clearance between foam plastics installed above grade and exposed dirt shall be at least how many inches? Yeah, eight, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's six. I don't think that's enough. I agree with you guys. I think it should be eight. Dwelling units in two family dwellings shall be separated from each other. Dwelling units in two family dwellings shall be separated from each other by wall and floor assemblies not having less than a blank hour fire resistance rating. Yeah, one hour is the minimum. Yeah, fire resistance rating of a half hour is permitted, permitted in sprinklered buildings. The address number on the front of the house shall be a minimum of what inches high with a stroke of what width? I was interested in the stroke. Six inches high, one inch width, one inch thick paint. Yeah, one and a half inches thick. Uh, four to one, yep. It's four and a half. So four inches height, still small. Four inches height and a half inch thick. That's like, uh, you know, like pinky thick. You know, sometimes they're very thin. Thin letters and thin numbers. That's no good. 
have to be thick. And that's again for um, police and fire, for folks who are trying to help you. They got to find your house. And now it's like Instacart and Amazon delivery <laughs> and grocery store delivery and restaurant delivery, where photovoltaic panels are installed on a roof. I have some on my roof. There has to be a path to get around it and to it. A pathway of at least how many inches wide shall be provided to each emergency escape and rescue opening. It's 36. Yep. Tim has got it. Okay. Four more questions and then that's it. Yeah. A grade away from foundation walls. So when we go to foundation, then you're in another chapter. That's chapter four of the IRC code. So that's why we're going to wrap it up. A grade away from the foundation walls, the grade, the, the, the ground, the slope of the ground, shall fall a minimum of what inches within the first how many feet? Yeah, you guys have it. Six inches and 10. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the last question. I said four. It was the last question. So um, first 10 feet, six inches, and drops down. There is an exception. All exterior footings shall be placed at least how many inches below the undisturbed ground surface? So this is a minimum. All exterior footings shall be placed at least blank inches below the undisturbed ground surface. 18, 12, it's 12. That's the minimum. Where applicable, the depths of footings shall also confirm, conform to certain other sections. This is really difficult. If you're, if you're, uh, Inspecting a home while it's being built and the footers are being poured uh, just before they're being poured. You got to help the guys if they're off, right? If they're not wide enough or deep enough or not in the right location or the rebar is off. It's very difficult. This is the most important part when inspecting. I've done it before. It's it, you got to be really code compliant and you got to know the code and the local authority having jurisdiction. Sometimes mm, they drive by, right? So if you're being hired by a bank or a client, the footings are really difficult. So the foundations, that's chapter four of the IRC. And it's, it's pretty involved and difficult. And we're not going to get to it in this uh, webinar. And that's it. So thanks for attending. Thanks for yelling out answers. I hope you had some fun. It's really cool to go through um, training resources to help you prepare for an exam if you're going in that direction. And InterNACHI is an uh, ICC um, preferred education provider providing various kinds of resources and we're also um, helping contractors we're a trade organization of residential and commercial property inspectors where we help real estate agents and contractors electricians plumbers um, with their training and ce and renewing their licenses and certifications so go to natchiorg slash contractor right there and to get more information and remember if you're going to go to any kind of training organization make sure it's accredited and InterNACHI has the InterNACHI School, the only online, free, tuition-free, home inspector college in the United States, in the world, really. And that's at internachi.edu. I'm Ben Gramico from InterNACHI. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Stay safe and healthy, everybody.